Hey there, podcast world. It's Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Good morning, everybody. Coming at you again for another exciting episode of... FNO. InsureTech. It's a very, very good day today. It is a good day. I am coming to you today from the beautiful, wet, drenched, wet state of California. And I'm coming from Waco, Texas. Just a wonderful day out there. No rain, and it's a, a summery, wintry day. We're drenched here in California, which we always welcome, except I paid a price last night. I have an enormous, enormous cedar tree in the front of my house, and an enormous limb fell out of it last night, broke from the weight of the water, I guess, on the cones or in the needles, whatnot, and it fell. So it's laying in my front yard now. What did it hit? Anything? House? A car? No. It remarkably, it missed the house, it missed the car, and so we're all good. Wow. You got very lucky but on that one. We did. But speaking of cars, you're going to love this segue. Speaking of cars, we have an auto guy on the podcast today, don't we? We do. We have a guy who knows autos better than pretty much everybody out there. He's been in it a very long time. John Hall, who is the CEO of Audit Services Incorporated, ASI, is with us on the podcast today. And John is an old friend of 470s and an old friend of many of us at 470. And we're thrilled to have him with us because we wanted to have John on to talk about InsureTech in the auto world which is not an area that Lee or I cover at all, but it's obviously closely related to the, the area of InsureTech that we do cover, which is more on property and in and around property. And we wanted to see what the difference is and what the different perspectives are on auto InsureTech. You're right. You know, we, we get told a lot that property is two, three, four years behind the auto side. So why not go straight to the auto side, figure out where they're at, figure out some of the hurdles that they've had to jump to become automated and streamlined. And let's just see what the property side has to look forward to in the uh, coming months and, and years. Right. So without much ado, let's go straight into our episode with John Hall from Audit Services Incorporated. And here it is. podcast world. Welcome to another exciting episode of FNO InsureTech. You are accompanied by your two exciting dynamic hosts, Rob Beller, that's me, and Mr. Lee Boyd. That's me. And we are doing an entirely remote broadcast today in that I am in Sacramento, California. I'm in Waco, Texas. That's right. Lee is in Waco, Texas. And our very, very, very special guest, who we are super lucky to have with us, is Mr. John Hall from Audit Services Incorporated, also known as ASI. And John, where are you today? I'm in uh, Conyers, Georgia, so just outside of it. fabulous Atlanta. Well, thank you so much for joining us. What a nice thing you're doing. Very excited to be here. We feel very lucky to have you. John is, uh, full disclosure, John is an old friend of ours at 470. 
And we're excited to have him because he is one of the more knowledgeable people we know about not only all things property insurtech, but also auto insurtech, because as John likes to say, he's an auto guy. Isn't that how you describe yourself? It is. Uh, born and raised in that uh, industry, and uh, it's a... Uh, you know, very exciting things are happening today in the auto world, and some of those are starting to translate into the, into the property space as well. So see a lot of things uh, shifting in our space today. You know, I mentioned that you're an old friend of ours and an old friend of 470. Of course, you all know that Lee and I work for 470. And when we started the company, which was in 2011, and we had no customers and no, no prospects and no money and no nothing, uh, our friend John Hall reached out to us and threw us a bone. And the very first piece of work that we got was from ASI doing some kind of field work for like uh, rental car companies, yes? That's right. It was a very unique uh, project we had and it was uh, required a special skill set and uh, you were in a new transition and it, it seemed like a great fit and I think we had I don't know six six to twelve months under that program and that worked uh, you know, it was fabulous it was great success and uh, it was a good example of innovation in a space that doesn't have much innovation uh, when you look at the you know side of the things in the auto space that's a very I hate to use the word stagnant, but that's the best best thing I can uh, <laughs> come up with to describe it. It's a very stagnant industry, and that was a very unique thing we did uh, in 2011, which was you know prior to the sort of tech revolution that we're in today. Right. So let's just uh, kind of bring us up to date and and take a couple steps back and tell us quickly about your journey from college to the owner of ASI. Yeah, so it even starts uh, really before then. I, you know, Like I said before, I was uh, really born into the industry. Uh, so my father owned a collision repair center, and I grew up in that space. Uh, so nights and weekends and summer breaks uh, were spent in that space. And I went to school here in the Atlanta area, uh, mechanical engineering, and ended up... Uh, working for a small company, a small IA firm at the time that was doing some neat things around desk review, uh, which is a space that we're in today. Over time, uh, ASI was uh, born and and developed and spun out of that company. And 20 years later, you know, here I sit today at the helm of of auto services, uh, which is a, you know, auto and property desk review company uh, as our primary focus. We do a few other things, but uh, that's the vast majority of it. So like most people, I had no intention of this being a career path that, that are in, you know, most folks that are in the claim space, they came from an entirely different path and, and mine is similar to that. So it's been a, a great opportunity and it's something, you know, something I wouldn't change if I could do it over again. I certainly have enjoyed the ride and I think there's some exciting things ahead for us all. So you had some big news last year, correct? That's right. That's, uh, you know, so it's so, a January of uh, 2018, uh, my company was acquired by Worley Specialty Services. Uh, so they're a national provider in the IA and TPA space. They do a lot with uh, staffing as well. So they provide a lot of in-house staffing to various carriers. But it's been a, a great platform for us to uh, piggyback on to continue to grow. We were 
at kind of a critical mass size where it was becoming difficult for us to continue to scale uh, for the clients that we were having an opportunity to service. You know, as the insure tech world continues to, to grow, our company has been a huge benefactor of that space. Uh, we continue to staff ourselves or to model ourselves as a provider, a service provider for claims that run through the insure tech channel. And by that, I mean, as more and more things are automated, those claims that you know, become exceptions to those automated processes uh, need to go somewhere. And they tend to come here. So we've been very fortunate that our, as the insure tech business continues to expand and evolve, and as there's a shrinking you know, pool of people out there that are servicing those claims in the field, those exceptions are, are, are routed our way. And that's been a fantastic thing for us. Right. And I want to pick up on that exception idea a little bit later because we've spoken about that in the past and I'm intrigued by that idea. I want to talk for a minute about ASI and what ASI does so our listeners understand what the company is and, and what it is that you do. On your website, it says you're a national estimate review supplier for property and casualty and the self-insurance market. What in the world does that mean? That's a great question. So ASI's uh, you know, primary role is, is to review estimates for accuracy and cost. So that means we take estimates from various channels, whether that's from a collision repair center on the auto side or a contractor on the home side or commercial side, or even the independent adjuster estimates. We review those estimates, uh, getting down to the weeds, the line item detail, and then uh, make sure that the estimate is the cost of repairs is accurate and uh, repair the loss back to its pre-loss condition. And that takes a lot of different forms. There's a lot of different work that's done to make sure that that occurs, uh, whether that's you know making sure we're applying the right parts usage on an auto claim, the right labor rates for the market, the right repair times. Those are all auto-related things. And really the same can be said on a homeowner's claim as well, making sure we're applying the right materials, the right repair techniques, all those types of things. It's uh, the auto industry is evolving quite a bit as uh, OEM repair procedures are becoming a bigger and bigger challenge as vehicles and their technology that they have are, are changing rapidly. Uh, so making sure that we're repairing these vehicles in a, a safe manner is a, a big concern too of ours right now. Sure. It seems like uh, computers are on our cars now. That's your hundred percent right. The, uh, the repair technician, you know, from 20 years ago is not the repair technician of today. It's a totally different landscape that's changing very, very rapidly. Almost daily, we see new new bulletins about uh, what's required to repair uh, current day vehicles. You know, is that to our benefit as car owners? I think so. I mean, safety is certainly a, a huge thing. It's certainly improved over the last few years. Uh, you know, the more technology that's, that's in vehicles... Uh, I think the safer they are, there are some challenges or some downsides to that cost being one of them. There may be less vehicle accidents because of some of the technology that's out there, but certainly the cost to repair those vehicles when they are in an accident is, is going up. The real challenge that you have there is, is we're in a transition period right now. So you have some vehicles that have uh, very elaborate technology that are on the roads, you know, driving side by side with vehicles that are much older that are lacking that technology. And uh, those two lines don't intersect very well sometimes. So have you guys started working with anything about autonomous vehicles or self-driving vehicles? Is that 
has that entered or entered into your world yet? I'm sure there's a lot of conversation on the auto side about that technology. Well, there certainly is. Most of that is around what does that mean for the industry or the auto appraisal industry, you know, uh, the estimate review industry, right? Inside claim reps and adjusters. You know, it's a big, a big challenge, even from the insurance side. It's a, you know, where does the liability lie in a vehicle that's autonomously driven? Right? Is that a manufacturer liability? Is that still the responsibility of the person sitting in the, the driver's seat? Uh, so there's a lot of challenges that you know are yet to be resolved around that. Now, what, what I will say is that the space is changing, but it takes, I think the rate of change is, is slower than most people would anticipate. Uh, there's a lot of studies that are out there that show that it generally takes technology between as much as 30 to 40 years to work its way through the fleet of vehicles that are on the road in the U.S. I think we're years and years away from having an entire fleet of self-driving vehicles. Like I mentioned a few minutes ago, I think the challenge is really going to be is, you know, self-driving vehicles behave quite a bit differently than vehicles that are driven by a human. And when you put those two vehicles together on the road, uh, you know, it's accidents happen. Self-driving cars, for example, break much sooner than you or I would break. And uh, they're more susceptible to rear end collisions, things like that. So, there's a lot of challenges that lie ahead for our industry, and it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out in the coming years. Right. And like you said, it's a transition that's going to take probably decades, right? In our fleet of cars, in our family, we still have some cars from the 1990s, and they run perfectly fine, and they're great cars. So it takes a long time for them to work their way out of it, right? Right. And and there's also, there's other factors, um, you know, there's also just the piece that a lot of us like to drive cars, right? Uh, that's, you know, I don't know, it's, it's a cultural shift that would have to occur for us to all be an autonomous vehicle. So uh, there's also security concerns. I mean, I hear a lot of talk about that. If you move to, you know, toward an autonomous fleet, what if you have bad actors that are able to take control of some of those vehicles in a mass way? So there's, there's a lot of things uh, that have to line up and, and be worked out before we have a fully autonomous fleet. What I see happening more you know, in the short run is, is really what we already seen today with uh, Tesla, for example. We have vehicles that are capable of driving themselves on the highway, but they still require the driver to be engaged with the vehicle. Um, I think that's where the, uh, the biggest potential for change in the near future is, is, is really highway driving. That seems to be easier path for the autonomous vehicles to be on the open highway versus the city driving, which is actually where most of the accidents occurs in the city. So, Hey, John, you know, I'm sitting here thinking about all of the technology that goes into our vehicles. You know, there's more computers, there's more sensors. I guess, is there a correlation with repairs costing more and more due to this technology? Or because of the technology, are we seeing less repairs needed on safer cars? Well, there's definitely a correlation with the higher cost of repairs. We're dealing with that almost daily. Just simple things like recalibrating sensors after an accident. The you know biggest change in probably the last, say, 24 months in the auto industry is the introduction of pre-repair scanning. Uh, and what that is, is a, you know, die, you're running an electronic uh, diagnostic machine on the vehicle after it's been in an accident to determine if there's all codes that are registered in the computer system as well as post-repair scanning. Almost, I don't know if every manufacturer that's in the U.S. now has a position, has issued a position statement on that. If not every manufacturer, almost all manufacturers have 
in the last 24 months issued position statements uh, typically requiring some type of scanning on certain year model vehicles, you know, typically the newer model vehicles. And that's just one example of an additional cost uh, that the uh, insurance world is uh, is absorbing, as well as it's a change for the repair facilities. They're having to learn how to use that technology and, you know, what to do with that information once they have it. So the second part of your question is the, you know, are we less accidents because of safer vehicles. And there's there's a lot of data that's out there, different industry data. You know, so vehicles, for example, that are self-braking, they see a you know a sudden stop in front of them, they're more likely to, you know, not rear-end the car in front of them. But there is some data that also suggests that they're more likely to be rear-ended themselves because they stop sooner and quicker than a human would stop. So there's there's cause and effect for everything. And I think it's you know to be determined in the long term how this plays out. Technology, though, I would say, you know, I think just intuitively is going to make us safer, but technology is expensive. And so those two lines have to intersect. Right. What about, so so with the change in repairs, how is insurance catching up or handling that? Because a lot of our policies say that, you know, they will repair your vehicle after a wreck, but they a lot of them weren't written whenever sensors need to be recalibrated and systems need to be scanned. Is that kind of common practice that the insurance companies are actually paying for all of that? It's becoming more common. They're adopting that philosophy. There's certainly holdouts that are out there where carriers are still resisting some of those repair procedures. But most carriers uh, realize that it's more cost effective to make sure the vehicle is repaired right up front than it is to have a liability on the back end. As you know, insurance carriers are risk averse and having an improperly repaired vehicle certainly you know, can create some risk. So I think they're they're catching up very quickly on the technology front. Uh, we're seeing that most carriers are are adopting those kind of philosophies that they'll cover the pre and post repair scanning when it's done correctly. You know, it's provable and it's required on those vehicles. So let's dig into insure tech on the auto side. Like we said at the top, we're really not uh, we're not auto guys. We don't have a lot of auto background. We do primarily property. Talk to us about what's going on in auto insure tech. Give us give us a quick down and dirty, you know, uh, level set of what's going on out there and what's changing and what's happening. Sure. So the so I mean, when I first got into this space, uh, like I said, you know, twenty years ago, you know, we were teaching repair facilities how to take digital uh, photographs of vehicles. You know, now we're in a position, you know, twenty years later, where we're communicating electronically with those same repair facilities in near real time, back and forth. The biggest drivers today, I mean, you know, obviously everyone's looking for, you know, ways to do things faster, more cost effectively, not about steps. And so we're seeing a lot of automation around, you know, building, you know, continue to build out that connect, that direct connectivity with the repair facility, you know, they have real time communication with the insurance carrier and vendors like ASI that sit in the middle. It's a huge huge initiative that's going on right now. The, the other big piece that we see uh, developing pretty rapidly is some automation around the actual estimatics that itself. So where we can take digital photographs of a, a damaged vehicle and do some scanning of those photographs and determine, you know, a preliminary a damage estimate right from photographs. Now, there's a lot of manual work that still has to be done on those estimates, but it gives you a, it gives you a starting point. The biggest thing that's it's sort of made a had a dramatic impact, I think, already is the 
you know, ability to determine if it's something that's repairable or total loss with a high degree of accuracy from a photograph using a computer. And so that enables uh, carriers to make real-time decisions about repairability versus total loss, which also allows them to determine where that vehicle needs to go and then in return get money into the policyholder's hands sooner rather than later on a, a total loss vehicle. There's also a, you know, there's a huge push to continue to build out uh, what I call rule sets or you know, automated claim review pieces. So the assignment goes to an individual body shop, whether that's a direct repair facility for the insurance company or it's a, a shop of uh, the owner's uh, choice of shop. We now have abilities where we can communicate with the vast majority of shops electronically, even if they're not on a direct repair type network platform. But then the shops can write those estimates. They can come back up through an automated rule set. You know, it's a pass-fail type system. If they pass, payment can be issued. Repairs can begin immediately. If it's a fail, it, it comes out to a company like us where we correct those failures, work with that repair facility uh, to you know, turn that estimate into a, a pass and then also get that payment out to the insured and, and that repair. So that's the exceptions that you were talking about before. That's exactly right. We, uh, as more and more automation occurs in that process, those exceptions, you know, need a place, need a home. Many of the carriers aren't equipped because of staffing and those types of things. And we can talk about that some uh, later and the challenges around staffing today in our industry. But many of the carriers aren't equipped to handle those exceptions as they come out from this automation. And that's been the biggest benefit, the biggest growth area for our company. So this is, uh, you know, one of the reasons why we wanted you to be here is not only do you have this terrific perch that you sit on, on the auto side, you guys do a lot of property work too, right? That's right. And, um, you know, property in our industry is, tends to be a little bit behind the auto world, although I see it catching up uh, rapidly, or at least there's, you know, efforts underway. And uh, so there's a lot of unique products and uh, they're out there today where individuals are trying different things to catch up to some information on the, on the auto world. Can you share some of those things that you think are cool or that are exciting or that you, you guys have been able to put into use? Yeah, I think, um, I think the biggest thing that, that I see, you know, coming on the property side is the application of photo-based estimating uh, obviously, we're doing that on the auto side uh, today, which is you know consumer driven, or you know it's or a lower skill set individual can take a you know take photos of a damaged auto, and we can write an estimate virtually to speed the claims process. We see that happening as well on the home. Um, now it's key to have the you know uh, to have the right claim for that process. I mean, there's uh, just like in the auto industry where we've seen probably a shift where. We're, probably writing too many vehicles uh, via photo estimating, you know, too large of hits, not writing the, you know, the proper claim. The same thing is true for home loss. But as you know, I mean, the average, you know, home loss is small. It's not, you know, we were talking to you know, a few thousand dollars for the, the average severity of a, uh, the average claim. Now, there's a, many of those claims can be handled virtually with the assistance of uh, the homeowner taking some pictures and or, you know, a sending out someone to do just that volume driven way. You know, I've often heard people talk about auto being different from property because a, a vehicle is a vehicle. It has a bumper. All, all Lexuses of that model have the same bumper, the same, you know, side panel, whatever. It, everything's the same. But whenever you have a home, 
Yeah, yeah, uniformity. But whenever you have a home, everything's very customized, different plasters, different drywalls, different shapes and sizes. A lot of people say that they feel as though the auto industry will always be ahead that the property industry is going to have a very hard time catching up to the uh, speed uh, of estimating virtually. What, what do you think about that? Well, I think it's all about the skill set of the person that's sitting behind the desk uh, completing that virtual estimate. You know, like you said, there is a lot more uniformity in auto, but you're still making all the same decisions. You know, is, is a particular item, a particular part on a vehicle, is that repairable or does it require replacement? It's the same is true on a home as a particular material, you know, whether it's uh, drywall or flooring or cabinetry. Is that, you know, is, is that repairable? Does it require replacement? Then you're making those same decisions uh, from there. You know, if it requires replacement, you know, what am I replacing it with? Do I have the right material? And an auto, if it requires replacement, you know, what type of part am I replacing it with? Uh, OEM part, an aftermarket, a recycled part. The question set is really the same. Now, there's Certainly on a property, there's more of them, although they're, you know, with the technology changes in autos and the materials changes that we're seeing in automobiles, those questions are becoming much more complicated in auto uh, than they were 20 years ago. You know, for example, you know, vehicles now, you know, they're not made of, you know, very rarely are made of, you know, cold rolled steel like we had 20 years ago things. Now we have all different types of materials in a, in a vehicle, um, whether it's carbon fiber or ultra high strength steel and uh, aluminum, uh, those are all require different repair techniques. And those are questions we didn't have to ask, you know, 20 years ago in the auto space. So I think it's the skill set of the person behind the desk and making sure you have the right person writing those virtual estimates that understands what they're looking at. Let's talk about the skill set issue and the labor issue, which is really critical. I mean, that's something that we at our business, at our company, we deal with, we struggle with, we rise and fall on that. What are your thoughts about the labor marketplace and the transition from the field to the inside? One of our big customers, a major carrier, told me recently that they've gone through and closed all of their drive-in operations on the auto side, of course, and are repurposing all of their auto adjusters, you know, to the inside. What are you seeing there? What are your thoughts there? What are the challenges? Well, it's a fantastic question. It's certainly, it's probably our biggest challenge at ASI. There's a definite shrinking labor pool for what I would call physical damage appraisers and adjusters. So people that understand exactly what we were just talking about, you know, they understand how to repair a vehicle. They understand how to repair a home. It's a changing marketplace. Uh, I've seen statistics, you know, as much as a third of the industry, you know, will retire in the next decade. And it depends how you slice that data up and, you know, who you talk to. But it's uh, something that we have to all be prepared for. And that really answers part of the question around, you know, what does this technology that's being developed in both the auto space and the home space mean for all these employees? And candidly, without the this technology, I think the industry as a whole would be in in real trouble because we wouldn't have the labor force that we need to continue to serve the, uh, the marketplace. So I've had, you know, employees uh, have asked me directly over the last few years, you know, what does all this technology mean for me? The, you know, we have automated scrubbing systems and computers that can, or AI that can write pieces of an estimate. Does that mean, you know, am I out of a job? And my answer is, is no. In fact, I think you're going to be in, in higher demand uh, tomorrow than you are today. Uh, because of that shrinking labor force. 
So it's something we have to be very aware of. It's something that we, we're starting to spend significant financial resources on, which is trying to develop our own talent from the ground up, which is a very difficult thing to do. But it's something that we feel like we have to do to continue our growth rate in a shrinking labor uh, market. Yeah, we've uh, taken that same tack also, that uh, we have to train and develop people, <clears throat> even though it's obviously a long-term project and investment. But we have to do that just to keep up with the demands because of this changing labor pool. Are you having? Are you seeing the same problem on the property side? It's not as pronounced as it is on the auto side. And there's other challenges, you know, on the labor pool on the auto side specifically. And we talked about it at length already, which is just the technology piece. So uh, the training is much more intensive today than it was 20 years ago. You had the skill set required is is greater. You mentioned it before. I mean, the repair technician on auto is going to end up being a, a computer programmer versus a, uh, you know, a hammer and dolly guy. Hey, hey, what about the accuracy? As we move claims virtually, I know we're speeding them up. We're getting claims settled quicker. Do you think that we're getting the same accuracy virtually with the new technology as we would send in a human out to inspect these autos or properties? Well, that all depends, honestly, what the carrier does on the back end. I've seen some carriers that are more driven to process claims without human intervention. They're trying to figure out how many claims can they put through the system without anyone actually touching them. And if that drive is is the predominant drive in the in the process, the motivating factor in the process, then I, I think carriers are losing some accuracy there. If carriers are, are very diligent about how they're going about it, writing the right rules for both the repairer and for kind of a back-end review process, then I think the accuracy can be maintained. Now, there is an equation that's there, too, on the carrier's side, which says, you know, can we live with some additional inaccuracy in the estimates for faster, lower-touch claims processing? And they have to all figure out what that acceptable, you know, leakage and inaccuracy, you know, what that tolerance is for their business model. But I think at the in the end, you know, as carriers, as we, we continue to work to refine these products, I think in the end we'll end up with a more accurate estimate. But I think that's going to take some time. And, you know, on auto, I think it's easier to get there than it is on, on homeowners claims. Uh, for the reasons you mentioned before, there's a lot more variability. You know, a bumper on a, a Lexus, as you said, is a bumper on a, on a Lexus. You know, so it's easier to write rules-based logic around estimating for those things than it is on, on the home space. You know, one of the things that we share, John, is uh, we work with carriers, both of us. And that's a very interesting group of businesses that uh, view things differently and that partner with us differently and support us in different ways. In some of the initiatives, some of the more aggressive insure tech initiatives that you guys have been involved in, either on the auto or the property side, what can you share about carriers, about their attributes? What are they doing? Do you tend to be in front of them? Do they ever get in front of you? Share some thoughts there. So, yeah, so Rob, so yeah, that's a great question. I mean, guess what I would say is that the carriers that we've seen be the most successful with their insure tech rollouts are the carriers that engage us early on in the process. When we're in the room with the carrier design phase, we can make sure that you know, all the, the what ifs are addressed. So, you know, as you know, claims are a linear process. You know, they move from 
from A to Z, but they don't always take the same path to get there. There's a lot of things that can happen in between. So when we're involved early on, the launch of new programs are more successful. They, you know, typically we've seen when a carrier launches a new technology, they've accounted for, you know, 80 or 90% of the claim circumstances that, that can occur. Uh, those other 10% of the claims that don't take the happy path, we'll call it, uh, in the claims process, become a real challenge for them. And so uh, just like with anything else, it's very important to strategically map that out at the beginning. And when we're involved early on, we can help uh, help do that. Yeah, I know at 470, you've done some very innovative things. What are you seeing? If, you know, do you have any experiences that, that relate to that? You know, we do. And I like what you said about being involved early on with the carriers and having a conversation. If we can all buy in together and all think about the positives and negatives at the beginning, it really helps it helps it go. So, yeah, I agree with you on that one. Yeah, it's it's. You know, having the right goal, you know, having everybody on board with that goal is key to making some of these new technologies work, making sure that all the players that will be engaged understand, you know, what the end goal is, makes it a much better experience for the end consumer, ultimately the, you know, vehicle or property owner. Right. You know, one of our big takeaways from some of our pilots have been we need to check in with each other and everybody more often. Uh, We need to talk about what's working, what's not working. We need to have regular cadence calls and discussions and and actually in-person meetings to review and to see things. It's very important not to have the the waterfall effect, right, where you do a whole bunch of work and then go back and look and say, oh, that was okay. But yet have more of the agile effect of where we continually tweak and change the process along the way. You know, you're 100% right. And the other key is, is, you know, start small, you know, and fast. And like you said, it's very important to be engaged with the individuals on the front line. We've seen, been involved in projects where we've been engaged at a very high level. And, you know, it appears everything is going well. And then when you do that front line follow up, you find out that there's some real, real gaps in understanding or, or bugs in your process that you weren't even aware of. And it may not be going as smooth as you think it is. So, yeah, I agree completely. You know, having those those regular cadence calls, especially early on, is very, very important. You know, it's funny you say that. Our biggest failure, our most famous internal failure that we've had is with a customer that your company and our company share. And that's exactly what happened. First of all, the scope crept. And when you have scope creep, that's a problem. It wasn't simple. The cadence wasn't good. And like Lee said, the waterfall effect happened. And it got away from us too quickly. But one of the things that we've found is the honesty and integrity of the partnership between the carrier and the vendor is critical. The commitment that the carrier has to the both to the program and to working closely with the vendor, I think is the single most important factor of success. Would you agree with that? No, absolutely, I, I would. It's uh, you know, as change is typically painful in any industry or space that you're operating in, and the insurance industry as, as a whole is a very conservative, slow to change industry. Now, there's a lot of drive right now. You see, you know, a lot of carriers are talking about being innovative, but at the end of the day, you know, frontline employees are still very slow to change and slow to adapt change, and it, 
you know, that communication of identifying any challenges early on and being able to be you know, responsive to those, fix them quickly and make changes and adapt your program is key to success. I would agree completely. Important to have a carrier that, you know, and representatives there that understand that, you know, having some failure is okay. You know, learning what doesn't work is just as important as learning what does work. That's been one of our philosophies as a company. You know, we weren't ASI is not a technology based company. We don't develop tech. We try to stay agnostic to the technology that's out there and work with the best and brightest technology providers around. And, you know, generally the person who develops technology first doesn't get it exactly right. It's usually the second or third generation of that technology, often from a different source that is most successful. Yeah, I would say you're absolutely right. I mean, early on, I partnered with a couple of technologies that I really thought were earth shattering or changing. But, you know, to come to find out it was a second or third generation of either their product or another person's product who really changed the game. But as we are pretty early into the tech changing world, we are going to get sucked up in some of these technologies. But I think you absolutely hit on the head whenever you said that we have to figure out what doesn't work just as much as we have to figure out what does work. Uh, so I agree with you wholeheartedly on that one. Yeah, and the other thing that's really important to consider when you're looking at technology in the insurance space is to realize that technology doesn't always fit every claim. I alluded to that you know, earlier, uh, we talked about photo estimating. There's, you know, individuals that would argue that every claim can be handled virtually. I believe there's always going to be a space for, you know, traditional field adjusting on larger, more complex claims, uh, whether that's auto or home. There's always going to be a need for that. It's going to it's going to be fewer, farther between, which is ultimately going to drive the cost of those services up. Uh, but you'll have a, a higher skill set person because they'll, you know, they'll be fewer of them and they'll drive innovation in the space. They'll drive, drive excellence. You'll have fewer of them and the strongest performers will survive, if that makes sense. So let's just take a minute as we come to the end of our time together and talk about two-year, five-year, 10-year view. One of the things that we've said many times on this call that we're big fans of this phrase that, and, and you kind of touched on it earlier, things will probably change less in the next few years than we expect and probably change more in the next five to 10 years than we expect. What are your thoughts? Where's it going? What do you see? What do you see in the future when you look down the road? I see a smaller workforce in our industry overall. I see, you know, machines and machine learning processing more claims than it does today. But I still see, I, I mentioned just a second ago, I mean, I still see a presence in the field. I still see you know, individuals on auto and home performing inspections. I see more being done behind a desk. One thing that I found interesting as we've looked at technology is there still is a resistance from the consumer in a lot of cases, and that may change as generations change, but to adopt some technology. So I think the role of, of people in the field may change. We may have more photo takers, if you will, on both auto and home than we have field estimators uh, today how fast we get there. I think we're going to get on the photo estimating thing. I see that as a, a near-term change, you know, claims being processed in mass using, you know, artificial intelligence. I think that's probably a, a five to 10 year project where you see a, a real impact in the industry from that. It will certainly be 
interesting to see it develop over time. But there's other things that are going to change, too. They're going to drive that process. I mean, especially in the automotive space, you know, autonomous vehicles will start to arrive and or at least semi-autonomous vehicles that you know, are self-driving some of the time. Construction of vehicles will change. I think we'll see that catch up on the home side as well. I mean, as we had, you know, we have you have things like, uh, you know, Tesla's new, uh, you know, solar powered roofing shingle and things that that could have dramatic impact on our industry. So, you know, technology on that side will drive what happens on the claim side of things, I would say. Well, there could be a lot of job security in that, right? Absolutely. But it's important to to keep up and to make sure that we as service providers that we're able to provide the service that's required. You know, so we invest a lot of time and money into training and certifying our people. There's, you know, various certifications depending on what they're doing that we spend a lot of time and money on. And I think that is only going to get, you know, magnified exponentially as technology increases on both auto and home uh, claims. We agree. We, we're very focused on not just training but where should our training be going? Where should we be going in training? It's uh, it's not as easy as it used to be when in the old days you could stamp out the same training program year after year. It's far more dynamic. Well, you're 100% right. And it's it's a challenge, too, to understand um, you know how to apply those investment dollars in training because we talked you know uh, at length about the shrinking labor force, which makes the trained individual in higher demand. So as a company, when you invest a lot of money in the individual, it's a, uh, you know, if that individual leaves and goes to your competitor, that's a challenge. <laughs> and uh, you're starting over. Right. Well, listen, John, we can't begin to thank you enough. What a pleasure and a privilege to have you with us. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity. It's been a great discussion. And uh, I think you could spend uh, hours on the topic and uh, not cover all the ground that's out there to be covered. But you know, one thing's for sure that, you know, time will tell us where we're headed. And it's our job to try to figure out and, you know, predict the future and make sure we're ready for it. I, I like that. With that insight, will you come back and join us again sometime? I would love to. Just say when. <laughs> Thank you very much, John. We'll count on that. We'll put that one in the bank. Very good. What a terrific episode that was. Very interesting perspectives from outside of our specific industry, but many which could apply to us. Right, right. You know, I think some of the takeaways from that conversation, one of them was uh, streamlining workflows. The auto inspection side has has found a way to really make rule-based decisions to say that if uh, damages look like this, if repairs look like this, you know, they're okay. Uh, And then you have the exceptions where the humans have to look at them. Whereas in the property side, there's a large amount of exceptions still. Uh, We haven't found a way to really uh, streamline the the reviews or the estimates so so that rules can be caught. So I think that's something to really look forward to on the property side as we all can to bring technology in and to work with it and, and teach it. Sure. One of the standard things about standard differences about auto and property that we've talked about for years is the difference in uniformity. And John hit on that. Whereas, uh, you know, a, a car is a car of same make and model is the same, no matter where it is in the country versus two homes in different places in the country can be entirely different, entirely different construction methods, entirely different materials. Right. 
you know, it, it's often led me to think about auto versus properties because auto, you can look at a Lexus and they're all built the same, but homes are all built different. And it really got me thinking if there was a database out there, whenever a builder create a home, that if, if there was a way to to categorize the actual materials, measurements of a home, so that a repair company could actually go back and pull up this database and know exactly what's in the home. I think there's uh, some companies out there either attempting to do that or doing that. I believe CoreLogic is on top of that. Yeah, CoreLogic's a great one. They're they're real good at figuring out, you know, roofing materials, interior, you know, size of homes, uh, prior losses, things like that. Uh, I think as as the technology grows and people start sharing data, it's really going to be for the greater good. We're seeing an interesting uh, battle begin to heat up between CoreLogic and Exact, just on a, on the side too, with CoreLogic's acquisition, full acquisition now of Symbility. Yeah, I think that that's really going to be a big play. As you know, Symbility is very large in uh, markets outside of the U.S., uh, whereas Exact is very large inside the U.S. and not as large outside. It's a different model in estimating platforms that each one brings, and for some reason, America is into um, you know a certain way of doing things, as where Australia is into another. But really, what I'm interested in is the, um, I guess I would say, the fight to bring better data. Uh, more comprehensive data into a single platform. I want to talk again about exceptions. John and I have spoken many times about exceptions and about how exceptions are so important to his business. And we see that all the time. I mean, supplements are super common in the auto business because uh, once you get into a vehicle and the damage, frequently there's more there. It's a little different than they might have anticipated up front. Does that same concept exist on the property side, Lee? Yeah, 100%. I mean, you'll repair a floor or a home and think everything's fine. But a lot of times what happened during that repair process, they open a wall that wasn't seen to find more damage or a closet door that wasn't previously opened to find more damage. Just like in the autos, whenever you think everything's fixed, uh, you go to turn on the radio and find that the radio is not working. So yeah, it does very much still exist on the property side. Well, a big thank you and appreciation out to John Hall for giving us some time today and sharing his insights about InsureTech on the auto side. Right, John, thank you very much for being a part today. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time, Podcast World, when we have the guys from Hover join us in studio. Very excited about that one. Until then, signing off. <laughs>